And I looked back to her and, and I said, you know what? I think really that's more of a fairy tale vision of heaven than what scripture actually describes to us. It is fitting that the one through whom all things were created should be the one through whom all things were redeemed. You're listening to the Holy Joys Podcast, co-hosted by Jonathan Arnold and Dr. David Fry. Visit us at holyjoys.org and stay tuned for weekly discussions of theology and ministry practice, all for a holy, happy church. So you've been preaching through a series on heaven and hell, and I think initially started out uh, intending to have a 12-week series, but now looking like more like 15 weeks or maybe longer. Right. So what led you to preach an entire series on on this topic? Well, first of all, who wouldn't want to spend more time talking about heaven? And so uh, <laughs> I, I'm not even sure 15 sermons is going to be uh, enough. But uh, yeah, there are, there are several events. Let me just share a couple of, of experiences that I had that, that led me to actually putting this series together. Uh, one was uh, 10, uh, no, probably actually closer, 15 years ago. I was at, in a funeral service of a, a saint, a leader within our uh, movement that uh, just lived a beautiful life. And as I sat through that uh, service, uh, almost everything that was said, about heaven had to do with the material descriptions that scripture gives us streets of gold and, and gates of pearl and those sorts of things. And there was nothing said about, uh, you know, beholding the beauty of God. Hmm. And I began to realize that we really lack a, a really almost any understanding of the beatific vision that uh, that calls Christians to a happy anticipation of heaven. Uh, so that was one experience. And then a more recent experience was with a, a business lady here who did some business for our church. And um, I had to have a financial meeting with her and she had just lost a friend the night before and, and was telling me about the pastor who was there giving comfort to her and her family. And uh, the pastor was describing how this young lady who had passed away, you know, was now, you know, riding on the clouds and had earned her wings and, and these sorts of descriptions. And, uh, you know, this lady uh, is not, you know, too religious. She, I'm not even sure she really attends church, but she looked at me with this puzzled look and said, uh, you know, I, I, I just, I just don't really understand that kind of heaven. And I looked back to her and and I said, you know what? I think really that's more of a fairy tale vision of heaven than what scripture actually describes to us. And it made me realize that people have a hard time looking forward to heaven when they have bought into or have been sold this, this concept, this fairy tale idea of what heaven is like. Mm-hmm. And it's very nebulous. Uh, it is you know, when emphasis is put on streets of gold, you know, on a day like today, I would rather take a nice walk through the woods on a fall day than <laughs> walk through a massive city with streets of gold. Uh, and so I, I began to realize, you know, really, we have a hard time envisioning or looking forward to something that is so, so different than what we know about uh, about the universe and about the world. And, uh, you know, we need something, a, a a biblically based concept of what heaven really is in order for us to have that happy anticipation. 
That's interesting. And I think of uh, something that happened to me recently. I was just visiting somebody, talking to them about various things in the Bible and, and heaven came up and uh, and this, she's a grandmother. And she said to her grandchild who was sitting there, you know, do you know where Jesus is? You know, he's up there riding on the clouds, watching over the world. And, and of course, Bible says he is riding on the clouds, but that's a, that's a metaphor, you know? And so to try to help right, children, right. we're pushing that really far. And so then it's like children go to school to learn facts and they come to church to hear stories and then they grow up and it creates all these like apologetics concerns. Christianity kind of seems then as a whole like a fairy tale. So do you think maybe some of this right. is a combination of just like carrying over childhood images and but but never having them really shaped and corrected by some kind of mature theology? I, I do. I do. I think that's what happens is people uh, latch on to some of the biblical images, I mean, they're there. You can, you can build a whole world in your imagination <laughs> of, of a city of gold, right? You know, mm-hmm. based on, you know, one verse in Revelation 21 that says, and the street of the city was pure gold and just run with it. And, mm-hmm. uh, but pretty soon you have, you have taken one little element and created a whole world based on that element. And it really, really uh, just, makes it uh, something other than what it it actually is. So yeah, I think that's certainly true. So how have you went about trying to correct these concerns in your in your series? What has your approach been? So I am taking a kind of a Roger Olson approach to uh, this topic uh, as far as uh, uh, addressing myths and realities, if you're familiar with his uh, Wesleyan yeah. or, uh, Arminian theology. Uh, right. So this approach is to, to state a myth and then to state the biblical reality. And uh, so, for instance, the first myth that I address in, in the first sermon is that heaven is not so great that we can eagerly await. Uh, whereas the reality is that repeatedly in the New Testament and then throughout Christian history, uh, that the attitude of Christians has always been an eager longing. In fact, Romans 8, all of creation is eagerly longing, looking for uh, that that coming day. And uh, in our day, we seem to have more of a a Joe Diffie you know, the country singer uh, attitude uh, where he says, Lord, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to go tonight. And I've I've actually heard that quoted from the pulpit and even more amazing, not just once, but multiple times from multiple uh, preachers. Have I heard that exact phrase from actually a terrible uh, country song, uh, a pastor or preacher saying, you know, we all want to go to heaven. We don't want to go tonight and saying it affirmingly. And I think that's terrible. Uh, that's just not the attitude of the New Testament uh, believers. And that's certainly not the attitude of the great saints through the ages. Hmm. So I think of um, someone who said when they were young and they were getting getting ready to be married, they wanted to get married fast in case Jesus came back and we went to right. heaven because there's no marriage in heaven. So, so okay, so how does how do we correct that? Because I think what it, what we are tapping into there is is – 
this idea that we we do feel kind of at home on the earth. So we say that the world is not our home, and that's true on the one hand. But on the other hand, like, you know, we're physical beings with a body. And so there's a sense right. in which we do feel like, and, and that is God intended. So I think G.K. Chesterton said something like, we need as Christians to feel that the world is simultaneously a cottage in which we can live and a castle to be stormed. So there's like mm-hmm. this sense in which, yes, the world is not our home and we want to go be with God in heaven. But also we're we're really grounded here and, and that's how we right. were created. Adam and Eve were, so what about this escapist view of heaven? That heaven is this place we go to and stay forever and kind of leave the world behind. Do you think that that has contributed right. to this kind of attitude where we, we think it's it's all or it's not the world, the, the earth, it's it's only this kind right. of disembodied reality? Right, right. So you think about the kids' songs that we teach our our little children. You know, we get a little three or four year old in our toddler Sunday school class, and we teach them a song that you know we say, okay, everyone, everyone, you know, crouch down and let's count down ten, nine, eight. You go down, then let's let's launch into outer space, right? So it's yeah. like telling our kids, like, who who wants to, uh, you know, be strapped to a rocket and and thrown into outer space where there's nothing but space and spend eternity there. Uh, so from a very <laughs> young age, we, we are teaching our kids this very nebulous idea of, of an ungrounded heaven. And for some reason, we don't make that connection in our, in our adult minds that there's a problem with that. And, and mm. again, yes, there are some, you know, there is some phraseology in scripture, you know, that talks about, Obviously, Jesus in John 14 says, I go to prepare. And so there are, there's definitely, you know, up language, you know, going mm-hmm. away language, coming right. back language, you know, descending language. So all of that, but that we have to understand uh, that that's all of that is in order to accommodate our temporal spatial world and that we're really not going to be, you know, God has no intention in launching us into some other place. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's uh, something that is so crucial, and a lot of books have been ri- written in the last, uh, especially ten years, uh, that has really addressed that issue from a biblical uh, perspective. Uh, to say, you know, hey, people, we are we have been thinking uh, unbiblically about this this otherworldly heaven. Uh, we've got to think more in terms of of the redemption of this earth and what God's uh, God's plan is for for actually wedding heaven and earth together, which is the great image of the end of the book of Revelation. Yeah, interesting. So I think about our hymns. You mentioned a children's song, but even our hymns, you know, recently we sang a, a hymn and I can't remember what the title of it is, but it ends by saying, and earth and heaven shall be one. And, yeah. you know, you know, a- amen. We celebrate that. We sing it. It's great. But then we also sing hymns that talk about being in the sweet by and by forever. And so right. it's like, we're up there in some, you know, so uh, it does seem like we- we've never really thought about the contradiction there. And what have you done to help people um, towards a, a healthier understanding of heaven and earth becoming one? And then, and, and how we think about heaven in general, you know, really as like God's space, not as a place that, that you can't 
they can't come together, you know, that these are kind of like divergent realities that are, that are, that are opposed to one another, this dualistic view. How have you helped shepherd people towards that without, and I think this is the key without making, like making them feel as though they, they, everything that they think about heaven, everything that they know about heaven is just completely, uh, completely wrong. Because one of my concerns about the books that have been written in the last, you know, decade is that they, they, attack this idea that we go to heaven when we die. Um, and in fact, I think they end up with kind of a different imbalance. And so, you know, as a pastor, you're made to feel like, uh, you know, if, if somebody says, uh, their, their, their loved one died and they asked, did my loved one go to heaven? Like, we shouldn't just be able to say, yes, they did. You know, I think biblically we can say, yes, they did. Sure. Now there's more to it. Sure. So, so I guess, how do we work towards a balanced perspective on these, you know, these issues? Yeah. You, well, you mentioned uh, the song you just mentioned to him is this is my father's world, which is that mm, that's beautiful, right. beautiful, I think it's the third verse, uh, you know, this is my father's world that ends with that line and, and earth and heaven be one. And, and so singing, uh, biblically grounded hymns, I think is so important because we do teach through our hymn, hymnity. Uh, and Charles Wesley has some, some great hymns. Uh, another one that I love to sing. It's like the 17th verse or stanza of, oh, 4,000 tongues to sing, which thank God all 17 or 18 or 19 are not in our hymn book. <laughs> uh, but, uh, it's, it's one of the last ones where he says, uh, you know, with me, your chief, ye then shall know, shall feel your sins forgiven. Anticipate your heaven below and own that love mm-hmm. is heaven. And he, he captures something that many of the other, you know, especially 20th century uh, songwriters uh, overlook. And that is this this wedding of, of heaven and earth. And, and then biblically, uh, you know, again, Revelation 21, uh, the dwelling of God is with us. It's not our dwelling goes to be with God, but God is coming to us. Mm. And that's the image in, in the final chapters of scripture is God coming to us. You know, the city coming down out of heaven, God's dwelling being among us. And so there is a really a, a, an earthly grounding here of what heaven and, and I love that image and and this is my father's world that there's a there's going to be a great wedding which is what revelation calls it right a great wedding of of heaven and earth uh, so I, singing good songs that capture this very important biblical truth because I do believe that this is one of several reasons but this may be the biggest one uh, that keeps people from having an eager anticipation. Mm. Uh, we are we are earthly creatures. We were created to be earthly creatures, mm-hmm. and the creation story itself uh, conveys to us this this pure, uh, you know, holy place that you know called the garden, in which God dwelt with with Adam and Eve. That's a, that's a real earthly place. That was a place that God created. Uh, not, not something that's, you know, beyond the blue. Uh, that's something right here on, on the earth that God created. And so we have to ground our salvation in, in, in earthiness. Um, and, and I think, I think the title, if I remember right, it was my second, maybe my third sermon. Uh, the title of the, that sermon in the series was, 
God does not trash. Uh, God doesn't make trash. And uh, although there, are, Peter, for instance, gives us uh, this tremendously frightful uh, hmm. uh, language of the earth, you know, burning up and being dissolved. Um, but again, he's using he's using imagery here that uh, refers to the uh, the redemption of this earth, not God mm-hmm. throwing something away and starting with something uh, something different. And uh, once we have that as our framework for understanding about heaven, I think it really revolutionizes our our thinking. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned that verse from First Peter, because that's actually where I was going to go next. So I was sitting with a fellow minister and a good man, a godly man, and uh, he mentioned that verse and he said, you know, some people think that God is going to remake this earth, but, you know, Peter says this earth is going to burn up. So I think he's going to throw out this old world and make a totally brand new world. And I, I mean, I just inside all these alarm bells are going off. I mean, I, I was just thinking, oh, no, like if you believe that. You've actually undermined not only one of the most fundamental themes of biblical theology, but like yeah. the whole, from a systematics perspective, like the whole economy of redemption, because yes, yes. Christ comes to redeem the earth because he's the one through whom the earth was created. So it is fitting that the one through whom all things were created should be the one through whom all things were redeemed. So, yes. you know, it, it would actually be unfitting. And I think this is a significant theme uh, for Athanasius. It'd be unfitting that God who created this world would just do that would throw it out. So I think if we can help people to understand something too, like another, when we talk about pastoral teaching, if we can help people to understand the economy a little bit better, that's one way to move towards the redemption of the earth. And and so I've been preaching through Colossians and spent a ton of time in chapter one, just, just driving that home. You know, Jesus is Lord. It means that he is Lord, both of the first creation and the new creation. He, re- yes. he through whom all things are created, through things are redeemed. So God intends for everything that was corrupted to be not only made new, but to reach its consummation. And then when we see that, we're like, okay, so what you're saying is God actually has a plan for this earth. This earth isn't just like, you know, irrevocably lost and now it's going to be thrown in the trash bin. And that I think is is maybe the, the it's the Trinitarian context. It's the proper big, the biggest possible context in which to introduce this these kind of renewed uh, ways of thinking. Yeah. First of all, if, if God's plan is to trash this earth, then whatever we do, don't, don't let the, don't let the meek know that because Jesus said that the meek will inherit the earth. (laughs) And if, if he means that, then he, he is talking about the earth that they know. Uh, so yeah, what happens is, uh, and this happens in the book of revelation as well, but especially in Peter's, uh, apocalyptic language. And he draws so heavily from, from the prophets, uh, in describing the purification of the whole earth, whereas they speak, now they speak of purification, of the whole earth as well, but they're especially concerned with the nation of Israel. Uh, he adopts this language for the whole earth, but the key is that Peter's example of this you know, destruction, the judgment of the earth is the flood. It's Noah's mm-hmm. flood. And whatever we think about Noah's flood, as far as you know, the, the, and the totality of its destruction, we understand that this is the same earth 
Like we can, an archaeologist can go to, you know, the Grand Canyon or, or various places around the world and find evidence for Noah's flood. You don't have to go to a different world to <laughs> to find that. It, that's this world right here, and yet this world still exists. And that's the example that Peter uses to say, yeah, and this is going to happen again. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it, this is uh, – there's, there's no um, – there's nothing in Scripture that should lead one to, to believe that God's going to trash this earth and begin with something entirely different. That God doesn't make trash. Yeah, very helpful. And I think pastorally practical and encouraging. Uh, I, uh, I I go to the local Burger King on the regular basis because somebody from our church uh, works there, and I try to catch her when she's on her shift. And uh, I was just talking to her this week, and I, I mentioned to her about how it's, it's exciting to think that Jesus is coming again, and we're not just going to go up and stay in heaven forever. But and she like finished my sentence. She's like she's like yeah he he's coming down to earth, and we're going to live here forever, and everything's going to be new. You know oh, she. Wow. I was really excited to think about that because she's she's always talking about how the people she works with are just so mean and so nasty, you know, and and she's all she's really, really, you know, a lot of anxiety with the election right now, a lot of anxiety with everything going on. Look at how messed up our world is. We, we hear that all the time. You know, creation has been groaning until now. I think I've told our congregation like 10 times. I've, I've cited that verse and said creation has been groaning until now. And COVID-19 right. coronavirus is just one more groan in a long line of groans. And, sure. and why is it groaning? All this that we see, it's like, well, we're waiting to be delivered, not like from the earth as escaping the earth, but like a child coming forth from a, a mother. And this earth is going to, through God's transforming power, bring about a, a new creation. And knowing that God's not just going to throw this out, but fix this and make it right and set it right. You know, that's what judgment is all about. That is a really hopeful perspective. And I think it brings great vigor and excitement to all kinds of things, our mission, our outlook on life, uh, and just, just so many other areas. Oh, certainly, certainly. And that's why, you know, N.T. Wright, you know, named, uh, titled his book, you know, Surprised by Hope, right? Yeah. That uh, it's when, when a person begins to see how grounded uh, heaven is in scripture, uh, and it's been rewarding for me as a pastor to see a person's uh, you can see in their eyes, they begin to, uh, hope begins to revive within them that uh, what they have l- learned to love and to appreciate the good things of this world that they have come to love and appreciate, uh, they begin to think, you know what, maybe there is, uh, maybe there is more continuity mm-hmm. with between this earth and heaven, you know, this age and the next, then there is discontinuity. And so there is, there is some discontinuity, but, uh, but there's, there's this right. hope. There's this, there's this uh, renewed sense of, of heaven is not uh, a, um, you know, a fairy tale. It's something that's real. And that the earth now, as Paul said in Colossians, these, these things are but shadows of, of the substance. And, uh, and, that his point being that there is something real about what we experienced here that is is eternal, and uh, we're going to be able to experience the earth as it's meant to be uh, in in that uh, wedding of heaven and earth. 
I like you add there as it was meant to be, because when Adam was created, he's commissioned to go and subdue creation and to fill the earth with with flourishing, you know, with this this kind of a rule that brings that brings just peace and righteousness and joy. Um, but he is subdued by Satan and and these enemies invade the earth and the earth becomes corrupted through his sin. And he never gets to see an earth fully subdued. He never gets to experience that. But, you know, Hebrews 2 tells us when we look around at our world, we see a creation in which all things are not yet subjected to man. Nothing was left out of its control, but we don't see that. We see a world that's groaning. We see futility. But what do we see? We see Jesus, and he is the new Adam who comes to subdue all things. So so not so much that we go back to the garden, but that Christ right. takes us forward right. to earth as it was meant to be. There's so much loaded in that little phrase. I mean, that you can just unpack and unpack and unpack that. And I love to just kind of contemplate, well, what would have that looked like if Adam would have carried out that commission, you know? Right, right. So that's actually, that question is the second half of my my sermon series, which I've just started into. So I'm on sermon, uh, not just finished sermon nine, and I'll be preaching sermon 10 next. And, And these final sermons are are really what is what has been God's intention for for the world and for uh, humanity uh, beyond that state that we see or read about in creation but now let's you know that's not the the completion of God's vision for for humanity or for the world uh, we see that in Christ uh, we, we don't we won't go back to the first Adam to see that we go to the second Adam as you mentioned Thank you for listening to the Holy Joys Podcast. Email your questions about theology and ministry practice to podcast at holyjoys.org. Our labors for a holy, happy church are supported by generous listeners like you. Please pray about partnering with us at holyjoys.org forward slash donate.